0: Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to the
1: ICS Pulse podcast. I am host number one, Gary Cohen. I am host number two, Tyler Wall, and we're great to have all you Pulsars back around. (laughs) We're sticking with
0: Pulsars? Okay, I'm good with that. Uh, we, We got another good one here for you today. Uh, Today, we're talking to Leah Dodson, who is the Principal Cybersecurity Specialist at NextLink Labs. Really good conversation. Uh, She was actually introduced to us by Nikki Gonzalez, one of the hosts of the Automation Ladies podcast. If you guys haven't checked that out, great podcast. If you're in uh, automation control engineering, really useful podcast. And we were talking to her just about podcasts. And she said, you know, if you're doing something on cybersecurity, which we are, you you got to talk to Leah. And she did not disappoint. Uh, really interesting conversation. Also, Leah is one of our people. She's a content person. So uh, started at least in content before she moved into cybersecurity. So we had a lot to talk about there.
1: We did. And it was a great conversation as well. But unfortunately, we're going to put that on pause because I need to ask you the question of the podcast.
0: We need like a, a sound intro
1: to the question of the podcast, like a little jingle. And mm-hmm. it's the question of the podcast. And then we'll go in. I know. I almost need to like splice in like the NFL start music for like <laughs> one of the nights, you know, you're uh, a musician. Make something, man. Yes. <laughs> this is a professional podcast. I'll come up with something. I'll get I'll get something cooking. Um, my question for you today is so oftentimes people get asked like if they'd rather be too hot or too cold right you know if you had a preference if you either had to be too hot would you rather do that or be too cold and like have to continuously layer um where do you fall on that spectrum would you rather be too hot or too cold
0: i mean i guess it's all a matter of levels right i mean if it's Mm -hmm. like human melting hot probably not that if it's human freezing cold probably not that but i guess generally I'd rather if we're talking like weather, I'd rather climate, it be yes. cold because I can always put more clothing on. There's only so naked I can be.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true. We cannot, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not even going to get into that. Yeah, <laughs> we can only take off so many layers. Um, yeah, very good point. There you go. Uh, yeah.
0: One other thing I want to talk about, we're going to do a little plug here before we get into the podcast. Although I think we're already into the podcast. So we are recording this in August. We've got Cybersecurity Awareness Month coming up in October. we got some big plans for the podcast here. So definitely stay tuned. Make sure you're checking out the ICS Pulse podcast in October. We're going to do a special series celebrating Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We're going to bring back some of our favorite guests. Uh, not that all are, all guests are our favorite; they all are. We're going to bring back some guests that have been uh, really popular on the podcast to talk about some issues in the world for a series of short podcasts. Should be a really fun time.
1: It should be. Uh, this is one of our. I think this is like one of our big pushes for Cybersecurity Awareness Month too. So definitely stick around and tune in in October to podcast but also articles that go up on the site like you always should be doing anyways regardless but especially this time around
0: and if for some reason you go i should be on the Cybersecurity awareness month podcast or something like that you know you can always reach us here i'm at g cohen at cfemedia.com and i am t wall at cfemedia.com all right so uh (laughs) tyler has been uh globe trotting lately i don't globe trotting you've been country trotting so he was uh, Yeah, yeah. Just locally. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was in uh, Washington, D.C. for the summer, just returned to uh, our home base here in the Chicago area. But right before he came from Washington to Chicago, he was in Las Vegas for Black Hat. So uh, Tyler, tell us a little bit about Black Hat this year. How was it? What did you learn? What do we need to know?
1: Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Black Hat is, um, Black Hat is a it's a major cybersecurity conference. I would say it's definitely a major player. Uh, that is held in las vegas nevada at mandalay bay this uh specific trade show black hat is typically i'd say is a little bit more geared towards the hacker a little bit you know it's not quite a defcon where it is just a bunch of hackers chilling in a pool but you know, I'd say it's a, a nice marriage between business and, uh, ground level OT experts slash hackers. I would say, you know, it's at the point like where at Black Hat, uh, people recommend that you do not connect to the Wi-Fi um, that is provided by, um, Black Hat itself and Informa because otherwise they might try and hack you for fun and just kind of poke around for giggles, you know? Um, uh, but you know, at this, at this this time around when I eventually got there because me actually getting there was a whole different thing entirely. But when I eventually got there, um I definitely noticed like one of the major themes is you know using artificial intelligence for threat detection, right uh, one of the people I talked to kind of said it best when he was talking about using AI almost as like your your watchdog, if you will. so like you have walls up, whether that's firewalls, MFA, things like that that are, um just kind of constants and just sitting there, but then trying to harness artificial intelligence to be kind of that watchdog, you know, keeping an eye on the door and alerting you when something happens or even blocking it out entirely. And that was a kind of a it was definitely a bigger uh, topic or even a solution that was toted at this event big time. um and then otherwise, I mean, it's a lot of your you know your a lot of cloud security was going on there um had some had some more on uh zero trust a bit it was it, overall though it was a very very good event to go to and i mean if you're in the black hat area because that's not what i meant to say if you're in the vegas area and you want to attend black hat next year i would definitely recommend it even if you are just going there for the sessions that they held um yeah it was a good event though yeah, keep in mind, Tyler's been doing a little tra-
0: traveling lately. So, uh, you know, brain's a little scrambled. You're in a lot of different time zones. It is. Um. is. Right, if you, All right, I'll put you on the spot. Best cybersecurity discussion you had while you were there? You talked to a bunch of people, had a ton of meetings while you were there. Was there yeah. one sort of memorable discussion that you took out of it? You don't have to name names, just what yeah. we were talking
1: about. Oh, there, are, there were two, I would say. Uh, I'll keep them both kind of brief. But I liked one where I was talking to one of these guys, and he works for like a startup company. He was talking about uh, this uh, hack- hacktivist group or a hacker group is not a hacktivist group. They didn't want to do good things. Uh, a hacker group that um, got into a plant that produces cup holders for Toyota. And they were able to take their systems offline. And this, I mean, supply chain, this is a big old supply chain attack that went on because I mean, Toyota was now out with these cup holders and they had to hold, it was about $430 million of production because because of this cyber attack. And I just thought it was so crazy that probably one of the cheapest parts on the car, cup holders, is what held back Toyota's production line uh, and ended up costing them $430 million. Um, so that was a fantastic look. I mean, there haven't been as many supply chain attacks recently. That was major ones. So that was a I mean I would classify that as a as a large one so that was very interesting and he was uh kind of talking about it in the sense of economic warfare a little bit you know cuz it was the attack was at a threshold to where it wasn't quite able to be labeled as um I don't remember the exact word he used but uh it was just it was definitely a big hit on Japan's economy for sure and Toyota itself and then one of the other interesting conversations that I had was with a guy we were talking about Um, generative AI, you know, chat GPTs and, and the like, and he was talking about it in a sense of generating content. And I think what he said was great in that we're entering a period of sameness, meaning since we're all using chat GPT now, all the collective all, not all as in Gary and I, although we do use it from time to time, but the collective all are using chat GPT, And it's all generating essentially very similar sounding things, right? I mean, that's something that Gary and I ran into. It's something I ran into a lot with everything, like all of our introductions kind of sounding the same, this and that. But when he said that and they said that it was, we're entering a period of sameness because now ChatGPT is generating the same thing. And now everything's going to sound the same on the internet for people that do use generative AI. So that was a very, very interesting take. And I mean, if we apply it to, you know, college papers uh, and all of that as we enter a new school year here too for both i mean college and uh, grade school alike it'll be interesting to see how this uh this artificial intelligence kind of evolves and how we continue to uh, monitor it and put up those those guardrails in terms of use both in a curricular setting but in also just in like a general i mean content ownership setting as well. I mean, we see it on our end, like you can ask ChatGPT or any of these generative
0: AI platforms, a number of different questions and it'll give you specific information. But the intro paragraph and the outro paragraph are essentially the same for everything it turns out. So any question you ask it about, like, what is the value of AI in the world? You'll get a very generic value of AI in the world is, and, and then, you know, if people are using this to create content and using that intro paragraph. Yeah, you're gonna get a lot of the same stuff. I mean, Tyler and I have used it to put together questions for things and you know, we'll look at it and be like, Oh, your fifth question is different than my fifth question, which means four of our questions were exactly the same because we used the same, uh, the same AI. Yeah. Um very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you got to go out there. Black hat always an interesting event. Uh, we were happy to be there and looking forward to 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 more as time goes on, but uh, from there let's let's jump into our podcast guest for the day Leah Dodson L- really looking forward to this conversation with her um I-, I found her fascinating and i think tyler and i if i can put words in your mouth both did because like i teased at the beginning she started out as a content producer actually i think she started out in like hospitality and then became a content yeah. producer and mm-hmm. then cybersecurity but um so this is like uh a sliding doors alternate universe, multiverse version of what Tyler and I could become if we had the initiative to take a couple of cybersecurity classes.
1: I know, right. I mean, there's a couple of five to six week courses out there. We can t- change career paths almost entirely from editorial to otherwise.
0: But it's, a, you know, she has moved on now to, to become a principal cybersecurity specialist with Nextlink. Um, we, we talked a lot today about, you know, you know, it's a topic that we've covered in some sense before but it's interesting taking a look at it from an outsider's perspective which is this idea of the struggle that people have taking tech details and translating that to the c-suite to the people who make the decisions so people can make actionable plans on cybersecurity. and and her take on how to come at that as somebody with a content background whose job was communicating uh, heavy technical details, um, simplifying things like that. It, it's really a valuable skill to have. So for companies out there that you know are struggling to, to get cybersecurity adopted throughout an organization, it really does help to have somebody on that team who can communicate it, who can explain what's happening in everyday terms, terms that somebody who's not a cybersecurity expert will understand. So you can start working this into everyday operations of your of your company, of your organization.
1: In other words, you should hire Gary and I, and we will be the great communicators you need to improve your plant floors and your industrial environments and help you protect everything. <laughs> or you can also talk to Leah. I mean, that would work too. <laughs> hire her out through NextLink Labs.
0: <laughs> yeah, find somebody smarter than us. But I thought that was... Uh... An interesting thing, because one one of the things she talks about, and you'll hear uh, hear it in the podcast in a second here, is this idea of how do you translate cyber risk into what it means to a company's bottom line? Whether you're talking about financial bottom line, whether you're talking about customers, employees, reputation, uh, there is this issue, especially with people who don't really understand cybersecurity, especially with people who don't really understand cybersecurity as it relates to manufacturing, OTICS, is... Look, this happens to everybody. Do we really need to worry about it? We've got cybersecurity insurance. Won't that take care of it? I mean, everybody gets hit. Do we have to invest money? Uh, It's really valuable to have somebody who can explain it from that standpoint of risk, whether that's using terms that that people in manufacturing understand like safety um, or something else, but being able to prove what the impact should be, that it can't just be insurance, for a hundred different reasons, that you need to actually start implementing some of these cybersecurity controls.
1: Precisely.
0: So with that, why don't we go ahead and bring in uh, Leah Dodson? Leah has more than 10 years of experience in the cybersecurity field, passion for helping organizations build and maintain robust cybersecurity programs that safeguard their digital assets and ensure regulatory compliance. They said she's the principal cybersecurity specialist at Nextlink Labs. She leverages where she leverages her expertise in areas such as cybersecurity strategy, DevSecOps, data protection, and ransomware controls to. Le- To Deliver, To Deliver, tailored solutions that address the unique needs and objectives of clients across various industries. She's also a a popular speaker and cybersecurity trainer, really interesting all-around person. Uh, Let's go ahead and bring in Leah. Hello, Leah. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me here.
0: Uh, should be an interesting conversation here. So uh, we, we met you through Nikki Gonzalez of the, of the Automation Ladies podcast, and we were looking for interesting people, and she said, you've got to talk to Leah. So we've been hounding you since then to come on. So happy to have you here.
2: Yeah, Nikki's fantastic, and, and they do really good things with Automation Ladies, so... <laughs>
0: It's another one in this space. There, it's not that there aren't podcasts in this space and, you know, automation and industrial cybersecurity, but, uh, but it's nice to know the people who do the good ones. So, uh,
2: yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and one of the other reasons that I think Tyler and I immediately went, oh, we should talk to Leah, is you're one of our people. You started out in content. Um, yes. h- how did you, so if you, we always like to get to know our, our guests a little bit, but if you can tell us your, your background and, and how you got yourself from content, where Tyler and I reside, to uh, to probably a much more lucrative profession in cybersecurity.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I actually had gone to college for um, hospitality management, so hotel and restaurant. Um, and I was at a point in my career where I was kind of still bopping along, trying to think of what I wanted to do. And I've always enjoyed writing and, and content making. And I met someone um, who was in the cybersecurity realm a little bit more from a hacker standpoint, ethical hacker. Um, and I attended DEFCON for the first time. And I met some really interesting people there, um, some of whom were doing doing things like penetration tests, um, analysis of programs. And I found that there were quite a few people who were very technically skilled, um, unmatched, but they had a hard time taking their technical knowledge and, and transferring that to um, a report that would end up with the C-suite and, and take the technical details and put it in a way that the C-suite could understand and would be actionable for them. Um, and and I found that that's that was a space where I could apply the things that I had done as far as writing and, and learning. And it just took off from there so I, I ended up going down that realm of how do we translate technical things to everyday people like me or people with uh, a beginner, understanding. And the more I wrote, the more I learned. And I ended up um, really enjoying DEF CON. I was senior staff there for a while. And I worked with the speakers. So going through speaker submissions, um, talk submissions, speaking with the speakers as they got to the conference. And I just learned so much there. And then I got involved with some of the hands-on things in the villages that they had there. Of course, everyone starting out in lockpicking. So that's always fun. And then starting to see the holistic viewpoint of cybersecurity for an organization, from their physical facilities, to their networks, to um, everything that they deal with as a business and how to secure that. And that's where I really got interested um in trying a little bit more hands-on things and i learned that i actually knew more than i gave myself credit for and and i think that's something that happens with people who write quite a bit and i'm sure you guys have experienced it as well you research a topic and you write about it so much that it becomes like ingrained in your head the things that you're learning along the way and That was my journey. And now I'm I'm here as a principal cybersecurity specialist. And I work with organizations of all different types, but we we do quite a bit with organizations who are in the manufacturing and robotics and automation space. And through those clients, I've learned some amazing things about that industry as well. And I just love that that crossover um, because they're really not as different. As we might think, the cybersecurity industry and manufacturing and and automation, it's just it's fascinating to see those kinds of parallels that we see there.
0: It's an interesting point. There's a couple of things you said there. I'm gonna go backwards here in a second, but where we grew out of um, industrial cybersecurity pulse grew out of another brand that CFE Media has called control engineering. So that's about automations and SCADA systems and all of these things. And cybersecurity was a little part of that. And then it, it was getting enough of an audience that we broke it out into another brand, but there's a lot of interconnection in our company between those two things. So, um, but I also want to talk to you about, you mentioned uh, just a few seconds ago about being able to use your skills as a writer to translate things into plain English uh, to whoever it the C a C-suite, the board. Are, are there, do you feel like there is a big benefit to coming out? The coming at this as a communicator, because I think we talked to a guest not too long ago who mentioned that cybersecurity can kind of seem scary. It seems dense and math heavy and I've got to have all this technical expertise. And I I I think there probably are some real benefits to coming at it like you have, where I know how to communicate what really is going on and it's not as complicated as you think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You I think you mentioned that cybersecurity. Often is intimidating to people because it's such an unknown, but they know that they need it, and and so being able to translate these technical things into building out a program for a company that fits in with their their goals um, and their specific needs, it's really helpful in that respect. Um, I can I can take some of the Best practices from a technical standpoint, and help them understand what that means from a programmatic standpoint. Um, and it also helps when you're looking at compliance regulations that that companies need to meet, especially now with the uh, CMMC coming up and and more of a focus on the DoD supply chain. Um, companies who haven't been focused on. The cybersecurity side of it, they focus on what they do best. Um, Now they know they need something, but where do they start? Right, so so that program is is vital. So not
1: everybody's going to have a Leah Dodson, right? Nobody, (laughs) they're not going to always have this translator uh, to at least help, especially with like the C-suite and executives understand like what's happening, what what to do. What are some like best practices for? Just to try and get that communication barrier broken and um, help them, you know, just strive towards that purpose of better cybersecurity amongst uh, everywhere in a uh, given business.
2: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that, you know, we talk about every company needs it, but they don't necessarily understand what that means as far as an investment, what investment cybersecurity takes, um, what resources they need to put towards it, but also the scope within their own organization, right? So are we just building a cybersecurity team and that's it? You know, wipe our hands and we're done. Um, Are we just investing in an initiative that's a a one and done initiative? You know, let's get set and then we're good. Um, So I think you guys had done an interview with Leslie Carhart recently. Um, and I know she, yeah. um, she always advocates for building that strong foundation, starting with knowing what you have in your environment and taking that concept, knowing what you have as far as your physical assets, but also your resources. So you don't always need... Um, a really large cybersecurity team. You have the people in your company on your shop floors, they know their areas the best. And so working cybersecurity into their everyday operations is going to be way more impactful than than trying to apply this huge cybersecurity initiative that, you know, completely changes what everyone's doing and and I think that's a great place to start is just engage your people.
1: So with that, of course, once once that barrier gets broken, I mean, theoretically, they'll be able to talk through it and talk through it as if they, I mean, well, the comparison we've used before is marriage counseling, right? Like with specifically with IT and OT, but I think it's the same conversation just between cybersecurity team and c suite So it's like this weird yeah. triangle going on there. But uh, after that, <laughs> is at least there's some sort of communication going on. You know, they have them now suddenly deciding on like different cybersecurity uh, plans they're going to instill. So what are the uh, best ways to understand the ROI of ICS uh, cyber investment and specifically within uh, those differences between uh, IT cybersecurity and OT?
2: It's funny that you say it that way. I am currently working my way through an a massive list of books, but um, one of them being How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk. <laughs> and the reason I'm reading that is because it is difficult to translate cybersecurity risk into what does that actually mean for our bottom line. Um, I spoke with a company recently um, and their concern was Everyone gets hacked and it's expected nowadays. So, you know, are we really going to see any financial fallout from it? Are we really going to lose companies? Because it happens to everyone. And it's it can be difficult to quantify what you could lose um, if you were faced with a breach, to quantify what the severity of that breach could do to you um, and to your customers, to your bottom line, to your employees. So I think looking at it from the standpoint of risk um, can be very helpful because there's all kinds of risk in business, right? Cybersecurity isn't the only one. And and when you look at things like safety risk, especially in manufacturing, um, those those are areas that are comparable to cybersecurity risk in the sense that you want to have your protections in place and you want to not even feel like you need them because they're working so well it's the the concept of um oh, what was that movie the movies where there's like a secret group of heroes and they keep a record of all the events that didn't happen because they stopped them first uh, it's that same concept in cybersecurity, right? We want to see the things that didn't happen to us because that's really what you're doing. You're, you're in prevention. And, and I think looking at it from that standpoint could help. I actually got that question. I was on a panel at Fabtech in, that one was in Atlanta. Um, and I got a question from the audience about that he was trying to convey to his C-suite why it was more economical to invest in actual cybersecurity protections as opposed to cybersecurity insurance. And that was a really interesting question to me because I never had considered that that might be a comparison that the C-suite would be doing. But it is nowadays. People have in their mind that oh we can just get insurance and if something happens then the insurance will cover it. Um but that's that's not really a good financial trade-off especially since insurance is starting to crack down on you know we're not going to insure you unless you show us that you're trying. Um so those kind of easy outs aren't there anymore. It's the investment needs to happen and it needs to happen in a way that that you can feel confident in your protection. So at this, at this last automate show, we were contemplating, um, building out a, a sample letter that companies send out to their customers when they've been hacked. So your data has been, you know, breached. Um, this is what we think they've got. We don't know what they're doing with it. And when you see your your company's name there, it hits differently. Um, when when you see a data breach in the news, a lot of times it's not the actual company who's been breached that you see. It's whatever biggest name that they might serve. So when there's um, breaches for HR companies, we see the who their clients are, not necessarily the HR company. So I, all of that, I think it can be motivators for the suite, C-suite, put it in terms they can see.
0: Yeah, I mean, put it in business terms for them. So you could understand what you were saying about insurance versus actually building up a robust cybersecurity program, just a simple cost analysis. Oh, it's a little cheaper than this and having to pay healthcare and all these other various things for an employee and multiple employees. But, but there are so many other negative things that happen when a cyber breach happens, whether it's reputational damage, whether you are a manufacturer and now your production lines have to stop. There's this whole cascade of things that are not financial. I mean, I guess they can be, but uh, but yeah, that cyber uh, cybersecurity insurance can't cover. Plus, as you said- covering as much as they used to they're cracking down making sure you're doing cybersecurity. if it's a nation-state attack they might not cover it there's all these exemptions that fall in there now too
2: yeah i really like the way you brought in manufacturing there because that is almost one of the easier industries to quantify um because they have a deeper understanding of what a day's worth of downtime would cost and then when we talk about how long it can take to remediate um, a breach or a, another kind of attack, I actually heard a, from quite a few more businesses that Automate this year that um, were dealing with DDoS attacks. Um, so that was interesting. But they, they can quantify what downtime costs them. They're very aware of it. Uh, so are attackers, unfortunately, which makes it um, such a such a valuable target to them, but that that quantification is there.
0: So on that note, let's talk about. We'll, we'll kind of bring everything together. We're talking about communication and talking about ICS cybersecurity. Um, I think it's really essential that the communication is strong there because I don't think overall people understand cybersecurity on the OT side as well as they do on the IT side that you can't just take your IT security folks and say we're going to lay you right on top of our manufacturing environment and just do all that same stuff it doesn't work that way so how do you communicate throughout a company about whether it's a kind of top down cybersecurity how do you communicate the differences between IT and OT so they understand that that it's a very different environment and different you know, tools, tactics, procedures need to be used there.
2: Yeah, I think one of the best ways um, and Nikki and I had a very interesting talk about that. Well, it was interesting to me. I I won't speak for the audience, but I'm
0: sure everybody thought it was very interesting. It,
2: she and I talked at um, HUSETCon in 2022 and we came at it from that kind of partnership of cybersecurity and someone who's um, been very active in the manufacturing industry. And how do we get those conversations um, happening where everyone is kind of in the room, everyone is represented from across the business in a way that those concerns can be communicated. So when you have somebody who's on the shop floor and can say, no, that that tool won't work because it's too noisy. It's too disruptive for our systems. Before, you know, the investments are made in these things, you can have those two sets of voices there, um, represented and talking about what the goals are and get everyone aligned. That's really the the main thing is opening those channels of communication to everyone that will be impacted and then getting that alignment there where the specific parameters are understood um so from from the shop floor being able to communicate what is realistic and what isn't in terms of the intrusiveness of cybersecurity controls and then from the cybersecurity side what protection would look like once it's implemented. So, you know, how does the, the network need to be laid out? What kind of endpoint protections do we need to employ? Do we need to change the way that the shop floor is um, laid out for physical protection? Do we need to epoxy over um, certain ports? All of these things, when you get those groups together those things can start to be thought of in a more holistic way.
1: Yeah, and I wonder too, so when we're like doing all of that different testing, right? You're uh, trying to figure out what works, like especially on the floor, what kind of cybersecurity uh, protocols, uh, whatever whatever you want to call them, providers uh, you want to use. Um, what's a little more beneficial in that case? I mean, between, well, I guess, that question is already even, it's not really pen testing. So I was going to get into pen testing. Uh, is um with pen testing and cybersecurity, I know one of the problems, or not even the problem, it's just one of the drawbacks of pen testing is the need for, um like, you need to essentially shut down your plant floor, uh, especially in, at least in the manufacturing space. Uh, and I know that some technologies have come far enough along to where there's not like you can just simulate it. One of our friends of the site, she at a Cloud Range, uh they actually have a whole system where they do a simulated pen test on uh, like just basically just like a digital twin of the entire platform, which is super sweet. Uh, what is the best way to go about, um, I guess like, yeah, testing and making sure that everything is all working together and meshing. And then how do you go about it from there moving forward um, and uh, continue to update and refresh?
2: Yeah, so you... Um... You touched on the term that I was, I was thinking of um, digital twin, and that that concept is really the applications of it are really growing. Um, it was actually even in the Apple announcement about the um, the AR headset they they talked about and showed the cobot. You know, you could see it in your environment before you make that investment because that's not a not a cheap investment. Digital twins are useful in a lot of ways, and simulating the environment is definitely one way to um, kind of see what the impacts would be. There are also a growing number of tools that are designed specifically for ICS environments and for cybersecurity. There's there's a lot more focus now on not just applying um IT tools IT techniques and trying to shoehorn them into these environments there's there's a lot more consideration being made now about what are the actual needs and how do we address those um how do we you know scan more quietly how do we scan to the actual protocols that are being used um those kinds of things and those tools are out there a lot of them are made by companies who are maybe cybersecurity focused, but making those considerations. Um, but there are a growing number of automation companies that are, their awareness of cybersecurity needs is increasing so much, they're taking their spin on it as well. And, and seeing that combination and that kind of mind shift in the industry is really encouraging.
0: <laughs> so a couple of things, Let's do full disclosure here. We're, we're all working from home these days. I, 99% of the time when I record a podcast, I have my door closed because I have a couple of animals in the house. And one of the animals has been bumping the mic the entire time we've been here because I left the door open. So I hope you guys enjoyed watching my cat, Oliver, her into the mic while we were talking here. I don't know if that was audible or not.
2: I love to uh, see the tail go. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's usually, it's no. like the little shark fin that goes by no. the Zoom screen. Yeah, that's what I figured you guys thought. He finally left. <laughs> um, but I also want to talk about, uh, about automate. You were, as our listeners listen to this, it'll have been a little while, but you recently were at automate and there were a couple of trends that you saw there. I wanted wondered if you wanted to kind of talk through what you saw from a cybersecurity perspective at Automate. So we were talking about kind of the dovetailing earlier of automation and cybersecurity and how similar they both are.
2: Yeah. So I, I love going to automate. Um, I really enjoy cybersecurity. Cybersecurity conferences. Um, but when I go to conferences like Automate, I'm really learning um, a lot. I'm learning about where the industry's headed, what are some um, technological advancements that are happening in the industry, really the cutting edge stuff um, that's out there. And there were quite a few. Companies this year that were offering 5G services for um for shops who are there was a lot of focus on remote. Um so 5G things, there was a lot more in the cloud space. So focus on being able to backup data to a cloud. There were some that were um, custom, cloud for manufacturing, cloud for automation. Um, There were some that utilized some of the major cloud providers. Um, And there was a big focus on software. Every year, there's more and more. Um, So you have software that's divided out into like vision systems, motion control, um but you also had a lot more focus this year on software that would take data that's gathered from the sensors um data from the historian and put it all into a single pane of glass so like a, a singular dashboard for all of your data and then backing that up to the cloud or just providing um remote capabilities of, of accessing this data and really getting that understanding of what's happening on your shop floor all in one, one view. And that one was an interesting one to me, um, especially from a cybersecurity standpoint of you know having all of that information at your fingertips is very good for being able to identify anomalies that could be indicators of attack. Um, but it could also be, if it's not secured, its own attack vector. So, that they're kind of all different aspects to that that I found really fascinating. I enjoyed those conversations.
1: Yeah. And I think something else I do like about going to like a manufacturing trade show versus a cybersecurity trade show, too, is especially like on the show floors. Like when you're at a cybersecurity trade show, it's just a bunch of booths with nothing really in them except for people and desks and some pictures of graphics that are not like devices. It's just like cool little modern designs. Whereas when you're at like a manufacturing trade show, you can like see like what these different services are going on too and what they're for. Cause you can like, yeah, it's just like a nice like visual aid to see what the impact is of the cybersecurity. And you can even take it. Like if you're trying to look at it from, like a threat actor perspective too of like oh well what can happen to that if something goes haywire or this and that so I always thought that's a nice interesting to perspective of at least these manufacturing trade shows like Automate.
2: Yes and it leads to very interesting conversations. Um so one of the things I love about Automate is how passionate everybody there is about what they do. Um there's there's cobots everywhere. There's, um, end of arm tooling that everyone's, they put a lot of thought into how these grippers work. Um, there's autonomous robots, there's additive manufacturing, there's all kinds of technologies. And when you take the time to sit and talk, um, with people about what they're developing and give them that opportunity to be really passionate about what they're doing, and then kind of meld that cybersecurity conversation in there that that starts to get the the wheels turning of oh maybe we could add this to the design or we didn't think about it from that angle um that's interesting and so kind of introducing them to cybersecurity and me personally getting a better understanding of exactly how how things work um Is really amazing. We, so I mentioned vision systems. We had spoken last year to a company that did vision systems for robots that would go um, along paths in a warehouse. And the person I was with started, you know, thinking through a pretty complicated attack vector, but like, oh, I could do you know, I'd be able to do this and that and and thinking out loud. And uh, the developer was standing there and was like, you're right. You could, you know, we don't have protections against that. Or I could take a Sharpie and, <laughs> and cross out the line here and it disrupts the vision system. So having that, like, a lot of times in cybersecurity, we see through that lens, right, of our side of engineering, but the engineers there see through their lens. And it makes for interesting, like, are we over-engineering this attack?
0: (laughs) And All of that, and also, I mean, you mentioned like building the cybersecurity into the product, we're talking about automation. I mean, it's so important to do that at this point for a hundred different reasons. But one of the ones that you mentioned was talked about at Automate was, you know, remote management capabilities. Like it would have been, if you 20 years ago talked about remoting into a plant floor, That was pretty anathema. to We don't do that. We don't. You've got to be on the plant floor by the systems. But it was probably changing anyway. But COVID obviously accelerated that change to where now there are people, you know, not only manufacturing environment, but critical infrastructure environments, these really sensitive systems. And from a cybersecurity perspective, that can be worrisome to have to, to knowing that there's access to a water wastewater plant or energy or electrical or nuclear or something like that, that somebody's at home, maybe on their their own computer, maybe on their own systems that are all open and and, uh, available to attack.
2: Yeah. So we, um, we had talked to somebody, one of the vendors there who is demonstrating those capabilities and he pulled up on his iPad, you know, this is my, this is my shop in a different um, state see how seamlessly I can, I can view my, my shop floor. I can make these adjustments to my equipment. And, and it was interesting. It was exciting and it was terrifying all at the same time, but you hit the nail on the head when you talked about COVID accelerating things for manufacturing Um, manufacturing historically hasn't, they don't make, big adjustments like that as quickly as COVID kind of forced things to happen. Um, And and now we're seeing a little bit of kind of retrofitting cybersecurity back into that that process, um, into those capabilities. And it seems to me like manufacturing is at a point where IT was about 10 years ago just because manufacturing has been so um, isolated historically, you know, things happen on a shop floor and there's no connection made with outside systems. And so cybersecurity hasn't been a big concern, Um, but now we are gathering data on these systems. We are remotely connecting to systems. We're sending backups of data and implementing cloud storage solutions. And that's kind of where things were about ten years ago for IT. When I got started, um, when I first kind of got into the cybersecurity realm, cloud adoption was just really starting to take off, and cybersecurity was like, "No, don't do it. Cloud's dumb. Don't do it. It's someone else's server." And and, and that mindset. Didn't stop anything, right? Businesses are going to innovate and use the tools that come out to help them, you know, grow faster, do more. And in manufacturing, I think we have the opportunity right now to grow with it. Um, so taking these things that that's happening, the advancements that are happening, and the changes. And really, building cybersecurity in from the ground up with these capabilities—they're all so new still—and um, there's there's more coming out every year. That if we if we get these conversations going about building cybersecurity into the products from the ground up, into these programs and into these thought processes, then we can we can do a lot of great things and help um, advancements to be more secure.
0: I think it's also interesting, we've all talked about in this podcast, the importance of people talking to each other. I know that seems really remedial and really stupid, but somebody on the plant floor probably needs to be talking to somebody in the IT department. And those conversations are where really interesting things happen. So uh, Tyler and I interviewed Dr. Jesus Molina a while ago, who uh, has some some interesting hacking exploits in his background. And he was telling us about a hotel that he stayed in in Las Vegas a few years ago, or what's Las Vegas? I think, was Vegas. I think it was somewhere else. I think it was out of the country. Either way, it was like a modern hotel. And so there was a tablet in the hotel through which you could control everything. Heating, air conditioning, blinds, all of that. And he was just sitting there one night and went, I wonder what else I can get to through this. And basically over the course of the weekend was able to get to the controls in every single room in the hotel and all these various things. But it's like, so the business... Uh, the positives to the business are obvious, right? There's a tablet in your room. It's great. The convenience, you'll love it. But having somebody there at the beginning to go, great, but this puts a huge cybersecurity vulnerability in everybody's room. Those mm-hmm. conversations are where those ideas stem from and maybe help us build cybersecurity into the process a little bit earlier before we implement it and it's a little too late.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, those it it was really interesting this year we actually had that question someone came up to the booth just organically and and said that i am now i'm an ot guy i'm now being tasked with some it things and some security things and i just fell into this role of being a liaison between it and ot and i don't know what to do <laughs> and th- we heard that more times than I was expecting, honestly, to where somebody, because of how rapidly things are changing, somebody who was in one position now being tasked with things outside of what they typically do, whether it was an OT person who is now, oh, you need to put this IT capability in and you're going to be the one in charge of making sure that it's it's good, that it's running right. Um, there were people on the IT side, so developers, who were being tasked with things outside of their purview. And it, it presents challenges, but it also presents opportunities. Because now we're looking at things from a different angle. Um, and I think that really facilitated a different way of thinking for those individuals. And if we can without putting that stress on the personnel, if we can have those conversations as if that's what was happening, really get thinking from different perspectives. um, I think that goes a long way in making our protections um, more robust and more holistic.
1: Yes, excellent. And so before we conclude this podcast, we like to always ask our guests to um just one more little like little, a little piece of advice almost like so what what would you uh recommend for just like as like a good best practice for uh any of our listeners um that they can start doing or implementing uh, either today or down the line or anything like that something you wish more people knew about yeah. out there more people were talking yeah. about
2: Hmm I would say that I wish more people would understand that nothing we do in cybersecurity is magic. Everyone is capable um, of starting cybersecurity initiatives that are effective. Um, it's, It's taking these concepts that seem magical just because they're different, right? A lot of times when we look at something new, it seems magical, but breaking it down into its core components, you know, puts you on the path of this is something I can do. This is something I can tackle. And so even if, you know, it's not your job in your organization, um, you can become a cybersecurity champion for your area. You can be the one that starts raising these concerns of, you know, is this a secure practice? Is this something that we should be looking at a different way? Because it's not magic, it's it's just a different way of looking at things really is all, all security is.
0: So I have to ask you, I think we asked this question to Leslie Carhart too. So having this conversation with you, you seem like an inherently curious person. You seem like somebody who wants to dive into new things. Were you the kid who was taking apart the television and trying to figure out how everything worked in your house and driving your parents crazy?
2: So for me, it wasn't as much electronics. It was everything else. (laughs) I would take apart all kinds of things. Um, I would take apart things that were not easily put back together. Um, I didn't have access to a lot of electronics growing up. Um, so for me, it was more physical things. My dad was an electrician and he had a, he had a lot of stuff that he would bring home. Um, I remember taking apart some circuit boards that were just laying around because I wanted to understand like how the capacitors worked. They just looked cool. Um, I would take apart like benches and and tables and things. Cause I wanted to know how the connections work, like how, yeah, that, that was my way of looking at things since I've gotten older. Um, I think I've channeled it a little bit, <laughs> a little bit healthier. I, yeah, uh,
0: that's still in there though. I think that curiosity of like, huh, I kind of want to see how that's put together. I mean, you know, then you have your own children, and they do it to you, and it all gets paid back around. But uh yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's actually been an eye-opener for me, too, because my daughter will take everything apart. We used to call her baby destructoid. And then I learned how things go back together. So.
0: <laughs> so it all worked out. So uh, thank you to your daughter for teaching you how things go back together in the world. Yes. <laughs> Leah, this was a a blast. Really good conversation. Uh, Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the
2: podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. And we'll, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll connect again as time goes on because uh, if nothing else, we've got the shared content background. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, but like I said, it's, it's, it's been really Tyler and I were excited about this. We're like, she's one of us. (laughs) She's just like, she took what we're doing and then went a step further. Well, oh so, yeah, know. we were uh, well, very <laughs> interested to see what your
1: career
2: path was. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I got lucky at a lot of points in my career path. Um, just the exposure that I got to have to different, um, different aspects of how both cybersecurity works. Being, you know, being able to speak at at automate and represent cybersecurity there, and then um, starting with FabTech building out you know, their cybersecurity board. Um, so being on the board for cybersecurity for Fabtech, trying to raise that awareness. And I've just feel like I've been in the right place at the right time for a few things and just taking um, advantage of those opportunities to grow. So mm-hmm. it's been an enjoyable uh, ride so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Outstanding. All right, Leah, thanks for being with us. Uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. All right, Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, and pulsars, Uh, Leah Dodson with NextLink Labs, really interesting conversation. Uh, The thought that she left us with other than baby destructoid, which I thought was hilarious, uh, having two children myself, uh, is that when we asked her, what is the takeaway? That idea that cybersecurity is not magic is a really useful one. I mean, it's As she said, everyone is capable of starting these things. They only seem magical because you don't know about them or because they're different. But if you really break them down, it's not that your organization can't have robust cybersecurity. They all can. You just need to understand it.
1: Exactly. And playing into, you know, because that that plays into the C-suite part of the conversation. You know, they think it can just kind of magically appear. Or it just kind of happens, you know, it just, it was, it was a predestined thing to begin with and it just exists. Um, Having that conversation and knowing that it's not magic, like, hey, this actually takes some effort that we need to put into this. We need to invest in this spot or um, just even establish a baseline in general for those that haven't done that yet. Uh, It's an important discussion to have just so everybody's on the same page and understands that indeed cybersecurity is not magic.
0: And I think it's doubly important in industrial cybersecurity, which is what we dabble in here. It's, you know, a lot of people who are operations, who are on the plant floor, are suddenly being tasked with cybersecurity. And it probably does seem complicated and like something they they, they don't understand, they don't know, they maybe don't want to understand. But, you know, the people we're talking about are also engineers. So if you have somebody who can break this down into its component parts and explain it, you can start to get on a path to cybersecurity. I think she said at some point, anyone can become a cyber champion for your area and start raising these sorts of valid concerns that are out there. But I think- you know, IT has a basic understanding of cybersecurity and protecting systems. OT is getting there, but isn't always there. So, I think that's a a really important message. On the OTICS side, is is it's not magic. Like, take your engineers, allow them to understand what's going on, and they might be able to come up with some good solutions for you.
1: And I mean, it's also important to remember too that Gary and I come from a background that is very much not cybersecurity, and so take that as you will but i mean if we can if we can learn and not have that kind of background then you can too it's i would like to to rail against that
0: and say that's not true but it really is like if tyler and i can learn this stuff man anybody can learn this stuff it's, exactly. it, it can't be that hard um, but yeah this is uh, another terrific podcast we're having a lot of fun with this so thank you as always for joining us here Lots of great content on the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse site where you can find all of these podcasts. In fact, you probably found this very podcast there. Lots of other good stuff there, video series, articles. Again, check back with us. I mean, check back with us before October, for God's sakes. But check back with us in October, where we'll be be producing a ton of content, including a whole podcast series for Cybersecurity Awareness Month.
1: Precisely. And as we said at the beginning, uh, we will repeat now, my email if you would like to talk to me about anything. I'm not even going to limit it to cybersecurity. If you want to talk about anything at all, my email is twall at cfemedia.com. And I am
0: G Cohen, C-O-H-E-N at cfemedia.com. Yeah, if you want to talk about the weather or you have questions that you think that we should ask at the beginning of the podcast, reach Mm -hmm. out to us. Please
1: do. All right. Thanks for joining us.